When you hear the word judge, it might come to mind somebody who's in a sitting in a black robe up on a, the big balcony, whatever, and they've got the gavel, and they're keeping law and order and deciding what is right and wrong. Well, that is not what a judge is in the Bible, uh, at least not in uh, the book of Judges. In the book of Judges, a judge was not somebody who was appointed, was not but somebody who ran for office, was not somebody who sat there with a gavel determining right and wrong. Uh, very simply, it was somebody who felt the prompting of the Holy Spirit and they said they saw a problem and they said, I'm going to be the person who does something about it. None of these people, you can look and say, had their life perfect. Uh, they, didn't, they weren't chosen because they were necessarily the most holy, but they were somebody that God felt that they could use. Uh, depending on how you count it, there were either 12 or 13 judges. 12 men and one woman, but each person did what God called them to do. And we're going to look at that cycle next week, because the whole, as you see on that picture, there's a cycle of, of what happened through the book of Judges, and we're going to look at that next week. Today we're doing a little bit more of a background uh, before we get started. So before we dive into the book of Judges, is it in the New Testament or Old Testament? Old Testament. Okay, good. I'm glad you, you caught that. The Old Testament. And I, before we dive into it, I want you to think with me, please, back a little bit to the time of God's people in Egypt. Right, there were slaves there, mistreated uh, for I think 400 years before they finally got to go. Moses showed up on the scene, did the miracles, and they got to leave Egypt. They were in the desert, wandering around for 40 years because Moses took them to the border of the promised land, and they said, "We're afraid. We are not going to go fight." So God said, "You're going to have to spend 40 years in the desert. Everybody who was 20 years or older at that point was going to die off, and so their children could go enter the promised land." Well, Moses was the guy leading them. And Moses did not get to go in either. Because the second time he was supposed to get water from a rock, he was supposed to speak to the rock and the water was going to come out. Moses hit the rock twice and water came out, thankfully, for the people. But God said, because you didn't listen, you're not going into the promised land. So because God, God didn't allow Moses to go into the promised land, God raised up a man by the name of Joshua who led the people into the promised land. And we find at the end of the book of Joshua, uh, he's, he's leading the people through and they're conquering cities in the 12 tribes, of the, the section of land that the 12 tribes are supposed to have. And Joshua, over a period of about seven years, defeated 31 kings. He had a perfect record, 31 out of 31, and he, he divided up the land and told the nine and a half tribes on the west side of the Jordan, you probably can't see this, this is why you have it in your bulletin, he divided this up between the nine and a half tribes and said, this is where you are supposed to go. He conquered various cities in there, and he says, I've done my part, I've got you started in the right direction, now it's up to you to finish the job. Let me pray and ask God's blessing so that I can do this. Father God, I thank you for uh, the book of Judges. I thank you for what we see is so common in the lives of people. When things are going good, we, we walk away or we're tempted to walk away from you. Uh, when things go bad, we're tempted to run to you. Uh, and I guess pray that we would see the example of what the, the people of Israel were like and say, no more, not me. I'm just going to be a person who walks faithfully with you and, and do what you want me to do every day of my life. I just pray that God, your words would come out of my mouth uh, clearly and interestingly so that uh, we all hear what you want us to hear and remember it for uh, for the for at least a week. I pray that you bless this time in Jesus' name. Amen. 
So first thing we're going to look at is that the people of Israel had had business to finish. They just crossed. They, they crossed here about Jericho, and that's where their first victory was. And they, like I said, they went through all here and they defeated many of the cities. But they were at to the point where they needed to go on their own and collect the promised land that God had given them. And these people, you know what, they are, they've, they've got about everything going for them that you can have going for them. They're not armed with just a good theory. It wasn't a picture of like, this should happen if you go fight. They were armed with a history of obedience and success. They, they were already had a history of winning every battle that they were facing. They've already won numerous wars. So they have a history of success on their side. That's, that's God. And I think about uh, going to a, a basketball game. Each game that you win gives you more success or more encouragement for the next one. If you win 31 out of 31, guess what you expect for 32? 32 out of 32. You expect to keep winning every battle. They've got the success behind them to encourage them to go forward. They have a promise of victory if they obey. In Joshua chapter 23, Verses 6 through 11, it says, Be very strong, be careful to obey all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, without turning aside to the right to the left. Do not associate with these nations that remain among you. Do not invoke the name of their gods or swear by them. You must not serve them or bow down to them, but you are to hold fast to the Lord your God as you have done until now. The Lord has driven out before you great and powerful nations to this day, and no one has been able to withstand you. One of you rots a thousand because the Lord your God fights for you just as he promised. So be very careful to love the Lord your God. They have the promise that, hey, if you just keep on a straight and narrow, you keep attacking these cities, God is on your side. He will give you victory. That's got to be encouraging. You know you're going to war and you know you can win? They've got that. They've also got the promise of loss if they disobey. Joshua chapter 23 verses 12 and 13. It says, but if you turn away and ally yourself with the survivors of these nations that remain among you, and if you intermarry with them and associate with them, then you may be sure that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations before you. Instead, they will become a snare and a trap for you, whips on your backs and thorns in your eyes until you perish from this good land which the Lord your God has given you. They've got the promise, hey, if you do this, you're going to succeed. You've got the promise, if you don't do this, you're going to fail. That's got to be a lot of motivation. And they have a commitment to be that they collectively as a group are going to obey what God said that, uh, about doing this. So they're, they're going. They've got the real deal. They've got success. And they're going into battle with, with business left to finish. And they start out on the right foot. In Judges chapter 1 and verses 1 and 2, they go to the Lord for help. It says, after the death of Joshua, the Israelites asked the Lord, Who's going to be the first to go up and fight for us against the Canaanites? And the Lord answered, Judah is to go. I've given the land into their hands. The best place to start when you don't know what to do is what? Is go to the Lord. And that's exactly what they did. They went there first. They're starting on the right step. Then they head the right direction. It says, The men of Judah said to the Simeonites, their brothers, Come up with us and fight the territory allotted to us to fight against the Canaanites. We in turn will go to fight with you. Go with you into yours. So Simeonites went with them. They, they, they asked the right direction. Where should we go? We should go. Uh, Judah should go attack first. And, and so Judah says, okay, we're going to go attack. It looks great. Everything's starting out wonderful. They have business left to finish. And they said, hey, we're going to do this. And it made sense if you're, if you're wondering, if you, if you can look at your map, 
uh, you have the land of Judah, and then you have this land of Simeon, kind of circled somewhere in the middle. They were in the same territory, so it made sense that they fought together to win the territory. So that's probably why they went together. There's some debate whether or not they should have fought by themselves, but from what I see, it makes the most sense. We're going to go defeat this land. Let's just do this together. And so they're starting out well. So, recap of point number one. God's people started out well. Uh, That's important, but it's important more how you finish well. And let me back up for a second. God blessed them with several victories in in their conquest of their land. It says uh, in Judges chapter 1, verses 5 and 6, uh, how about four through six? It says, when Judah attacked, the Lord gave the Canaanites and Perizzites into their hands, and they struck down 10,000 men at Bezek. Here's some victory. Here's some encouragement to keep going. It was there that they found Adonai Bezek and fought against him, putting to rout the Canaanites and Perizzites. It says, Adonai Bezek fled, and but they chased him and cut off his, cut, they, they caught him, and they cut off his thumbs and his big toes. So God is giving them victory on their, what he's called them to do. Please just at least hear that. I know I'm stumbling over what I'm saying. Please just hear God is giving them victory of what he's asked them to do. In verses 8 through 10, you find, you find more. God is giving victory and giving them victory and giving them victory. This is all starting out well, but it's not always how you start. You've got to run the course well, and you've got to finish the course well. And that's what we're going to see. Maybe not that they didn't do. They didn't do that. They had everything set up to succeed, but by the time they get done, they're all just a bunch of failures. And so where we get to point number two, unfinished business. Judges chapter 1, verses 19 to 36. I hope everybody has their Bibles and would like to follow along as I read this. Just kidding. I'm not going to read it. You guys would have a hard time staying awake. So we're just going to gloss over parts of this. But we're going to have to realize that uh, these are unfinished business that they did not take care of. Now, having unfinished projects is pretty common. Anybody here have an unfinished project? Okay, we got one. We got two hands. Yeah, uh, <laughs> we got some laughter. Okay, good. I was afraid I was the only person that had unfinished projects. You know, maybe your spouse or your boss or your somebody will allow that to happen. They're okay with it. They don't really like it, but they it, you can get away with not finishing a business on time. But when it comes to doing what God has called you to do, it's never a good idea to leave your business unfinished. And it's even worse when you come up with a bad excuse. How many of you parents and teachers? Uh, and bosses have employees or kids or students that have an excuse for why they didn't know what they were supposed to. You get that, right? I get that. I hear bad excuses for things, and it makes it even worse. It's it's bad enough to have an excuse, but when your your excuse is a lame excuse, it's really unacceptable. And that's what we get here with the the God's people. They were told, if you do this, you will be blessed. You will succeed. Everything good is going to come from this. And then we start to see that, you know what? They have a bunch of excuses for not doing what they were supposed to do. I'm going to go back to Judah and and Judges chapter 1. It says uh, in verse 6, I already read it. They took this guy, this king that they caught, and they cut off his thumbs and his big toes. That's a pretty harmless person, right? You can't hold a sword. I'm not sure how you can eat. You get your, your fork and you're trying to eat. You don't have your big toe. You can't run. You're worthless in battle, right? It seems like a pretty fair thing to do. At least this guy got to live, right? But what were they told to do? They were, so, they were told to wipe out every single person. And yet they did this, maybe because they wanted sport for years to come. 
to, to say, ha ha, look at this guy's struggle. Who knows what their thinking was, but the thing was, they did not finish the job as they were supposed to. You can, you can reason that that was a nice thing to do, but it was not what God called them to do. It gets a little worse because in Judges chapter 1, uh, verse 19, it says, The Lord is with the men of Judah. They took possession of the hill country, but they were unable to drive out the people from the plains because they had iron chariots. Now, I look at that, and I can make fun of that because I have never faced an army with iron chariots. That was something, I think, that was new to the, to the Israelites, to fight a nation with iron chariots. That's a big deal. But you know what? They had a bigger deal. They, they could maybe couldn't defeat these people on their own, but who was on their side? God was on their side. He was bigger than those iron chariot wheels. But these people said, oh, no, we can't do this. And so they said, we're just going to let them stay. You were just guaranteed 100% victory, and then you stop short of victory because it's too hard. They're not the only ones. You know, actually, um, if you look at this, there's only one potential tribe, the tribe of Simeon that helped Judah, uh, that, that possibly could have succeeded in taking over their whole territory. And that would be a 10.5% success rate. Anybody impressed with that? No, if you had a math test and you got one out of nine and a half right, you would not pass. That's a flunk. That's a bad score. And guess what Jesus, what God is getting from his people with a guaranteed victory. He's getting a 10% success rate. That means he's getting an 89.5% failure rate out of all his people. That's what he is getting. That's pathetic. Benjamin verse 21 says the Benjaminites, however, failed to dislodge the Jebusites, which were living in Jerusalem. They failed. It doesn't give an excuse. They just did not complete it. The house of Joseph in verse 22 is made up of a tribe of Ephraim and the tribe of Judah. Joseph's sons. And it says that they, they got a little bit creative. They got a little bit different. Uh, what they did was they compromised. They were trying to get into a city. And they said, boy, I can't figure out how to get into that city. Hey, look, here's a guy. We're going to ask him to help us. And by the way, if he helps us, we'll let him live. So the guy said, okay, I'll let you into the city. And so they did a great job and they destroyed that whole city. But they let this guy live. And guess what he did? He just moved over there and built another city. Another, all they did was traded cities. That's not obedience. It was a compromise. They just let a whole another city be built after they wiped out this city. But they said, hey, we wiped out this city. Boy, we're doing good. Manasseh, uh, verse 27 it says, Manasseh did not drive out the people uh, because the Canaanites were determined to live in the land. Duh, they're determined to live in the land. That's like the, the prime spot of the country over there. Everybody's going to want to stay in there. Uh, because they're determined, you said, okay, I'm going to stop fighting. Do you see the problem with this picture? They, they just decided what we want is better than what God wants. I think what they did is they, they went off to war excited, and then they started realizing it's a lot of work. And they were doing it in their own strength. And they, they said, you know what? It's really not that big a deal if we don't complete this fully. It's just God. It doesn't really matter. Caleb, please get your Bible. Thank you. Uh, verse 29, it says, Ephraim, they let the, the people live among them. Verse 30, they, they, get, they, they, they come up with a new compromise. 
It says, Neither did Zebulun drive out the Canaanites living in these cities, but they did subject them to forced labor. Isn't that a great idea? You know what? We'll just take the advantage of their free slave labor. And so we're going to have them do all the work. And that sounds like a good thing. We're letting them live. We're getting a city built. We get all this free work done. But what did God want them to do? Wipe them out. This is what God has to deal with is a bunch of people who are choosing not to. Uh, in verse 31 and 32, I won't read it, but it says, the wording changes a little bit. It says, Asher lived among the people. To me, I look and say, if I live among ranchers in a ranching community, who has the upper hand there? Not me. I'm on your land. I'm in your backyard. You have the upper hand. And I feel like that's what Asher did. They moved in, but they let them have the control. That's, that's not good. And Naphtali, they, they lived among them, but somehow they forced them to labor. Uh, Danites never really took over anything. They were, they were pushed back by the, peop- by the people that they were supposed to take their land from. And this is what God has to deal with. It's sad. It's sad for those who had a history of success. We've, we've seen this done. 31 out of 31. They had the promise of victory if they were faithful. They were promised of punishment if they're unfaithful. And we all agreed to do this. This is a terrible example of these people, of what they did in serving the Lord. They said whatever excuses they had, they were all bad. Pretty bad, sad track record for these people. Now, I have two thoughts for why this actually happened. I'm not just a grumpy guy up here today. Uh, I have, a, I have a, a couple thoughts as to why this might have happened. One is that, you know, Judah and Simeon went first, right? I think everybody's kind of collectively watching to see how does this really work? We're not following Joshua to war. Let's see, how does it work for Judah and Zebi, or, uh, Judah and Simeon, thank you, to, <laughs> to go feed, defeat this country? Well, they, they watched and they said, okay, they did it. They defeated, they they had victory. Okay, we can do this. But what did they do? They let the king live. Hmm. Hmm. They're still living. Must not be that big a deal. And so then they went off to fight their own battles. And so from there it was like, well, they let one guy live. Why can't we let more people live? They, they, these people let these people live. Why can't we subject them to forced labor? They, they suggest, subjected them to forced labor. Why can't we just move in and live among them? You see where I'm going with this? It was, I watched one person fail, and that person watched someone else, and it just went downhill. All it did was a slippery slope. It just watered it down till finally everybody's like, I, I did better than the guy before me, or I, I, I'm doing better than the guy after me. It doesn't really matter. God didn't strike them dead. It must not be that big a deal. That's one theory that I have is they were watching each other and they said, oh, they got away with it. I guess I can get away with it, too. The second thought is the second thought is that they said, who really cares? You know, they they could have sat and watched Judah fight a battle, and maybe they did. And then they said, okay, that's how it works. And they go off and disperse themselves among those countries or those the tribes, and they start having these battles. But they all felt the same. They all felt like, who really cares? It's not that big a deal. And I would call it apathy. It wasn't, they all felt the same way. They just all did it in different places. And you can find that everywhere of, of people who feel that way. And I think that's what possibly that they did. They all just felt like, I want the promised land, but I really don't want to do what God's asking me to do in order to get the blessing that he wants to give me. So either they were watching each other, which I hope you hear that. They were watching each other and saying, it's okay because someone else did it. 
or they just didn't care. And they all collectively felt the same way without knowing everybody else felt that way. Either way, that's two bad reasons for why they did what they did in not taking over the promised land. So God's people started out well, but, and that's important, but it's also important how you finish. God's people were also given a clear command and God's people clearly chose to ignore it. That's what we're dealing with here with these people. And what is the problem of leaving business unfinished? That's what we're going to find here with God's people. Uh, in verse 3, it says, Now, therefore, I tell you that I will not drive them out before you, that they will be thorns in your side, and their gods will be a snare to you. Now, I don't know too many, I don't know too many uh, parents or too many teachers or too many bosses who are, who are happy if they give somebody a job to do and they don't do it. You don't come back and say, I, I mean, we know it happens, but we don't get excited about that. And, and God's not happy either. He gave them specific instructions. This is what you need to do. And guess what God wants? He wants a specific action. He, he, it's that easy. I told you what to do. Now go and do it. And so they, they, they get to experience, they get to reap the consequences of their actions, good or bad. And Judges chapter 2 it's in verse 1, it says, The angel of the Lord went up from Gilgal to Bochim and said, I brought you up out of Egypt and led you into the land that I swore to give your forefathers. I said, I will never break my covenant with you, and you shall not make a covenant with the people of this land, but you shall break down their altars. You, yet you have disobeyed me. Why have you disobeyed me? Why? I, I, I promised you what was going to happen if you did it. I promised you what would happen if you didn't do it. You all agreed to do this. Why? I could just, that's how I feel. I don't think he's screaming and yelling. I think he's like, what possessed you? What would make you do that? that it, it brings out the uh, in me because that's what I feel like. That's what they did. Why? So he reminds them of the covenant that they made, and now he's reminding them of the consequences. I, I, I kept my word. I kept my word that if you obeyed, I was going to bless you. Now I'm going to keep my word that you didn't obey, so you're going to reap the consequences of your actions. From now on, these tribes are going to live among you. I'm not going to drive them out, and they are going to be a snare to you. And so in verses 4 through 5, it says, When the angel of the Lord had spoken these things to the Israelites, what did the people do? It says they wept aloud, and they called that place Bochim, which means weeping, uh, and they offered sacrifices to the Lord. They were sad. They were distraught. They were bothered by the fact that they were getting the consequences for their actions. That's a good response, but it's not, it wasn't, it was too late, really. They were going to suffer the consequences of what they did. And we're going to see this more clearly next week, because their sin of letting this one guy live, of letting this city live, of letting various people groups live, affected them. We see that all through the book of Judges. But you know what? It wasn't just that. They, it goes from generation to generation, all throughout the whole scriptures where God's people failed this way. Especially in the Old Testament. That's part of why they finally went off. Uh, Israel was captured and hauled off by Assyria. And Judah was hauled off by Babylon. Because through the whole Old Testament, the the decisions they made here affected everybody else. They didn't think about that at the time. They thought, I'm compromising. I'm doing, it's not really that big a deal. But what they did had this astronomical effect. 
of a one little decision just went like this and it affected everybody forever. And it led to the downfall of everybody. So what does all this have to do with me? What does all this have to do with you? What is the application of this? Well, you know, God wanted to defeat, God wanted his people to defeat the people of the promised land because he wanted to bless them. He wanted to give them the promised land. That prime spot, he says, this is where I want you to be. And and they, they weren't really that interested. You know, I read that that area of land is 300,000 square miles of beauty, of God's perfect uh, promised land that he wanted to give them. At their best, at the best, even with David conquering and defeating, they only, they only possess as much as 30,000 square miles. Anybody want to tell me what percent that is? 10% at their best. They could have had 100% right off the bat if they would have just listened to the Lord. And they said, we're satisfied with 10%. We're satisfied with living with the enemy. We're satisfied with our kids intermarrying with them and worshiping other gods. We're satisfied with that. And they, they could have enjoyed peace and safety and God's blessing forever. But they said, you know what? 10% is just enough. And it's easy. It's easy to see, well, if I was in their shoes, you know what I would do? I would be the finest machine you ever saw in your life. I would be the next judge. I would be the guy up there with the sword. I don't care. If God's going to give me victory, I'm going for it. It's easy to say if I was in their shoes, but I'm not in their shoes. I'm actually in my own boots. I'm, I'm in the shoes that I'm in. I'm facing my own life situations thousands of years later. And what am, am I, first of all, being willing to be obedient to what God's calling me to do? Are you willing to be obedient? Because the, the way to be blessed is to do what God's asking you to do. You receive God's blessing His way. He doesn't bless your disobedience. He wants to bless your obedience. So, that might look like leaving your comfort zone. How big is your comfort zone? Is it like this big? This is my comfort zone? Like six foot and that's it? Or do you have a comfort zone that's like... This church size is your comfort zone, the size of your city or your school. How big is your comfort zone? You might have to get out of that comfort zone. You know, this week is VBS and I've, I've called on three young men to get out of the comfort zone. All three have said yes to me, thankfully. And there are other people who are, are doing things. Uh, but the three I was going to point out is Noah and Caden are going to do object lessons for the kids. First time ever. Right? That's a pretty big deal. I, I mean, some of us have years and years of experience, but I remember being that age scared to death. I remember doing it, uh, and my, as soon as I was done, I said, that was stupid. And my dad said, don't say that was stupid. But that's how I felt. I felt like I did a terrible job. It was miserable. But I have two teens that are going to be getting out of their comfort zone for the first time to share uh, a gospel message with some kids. Caleb is going to be doing the verses for the kids. He's going to explain what they mean and try to help the kids learn the verses. Now, it's, in the grand scope of things, you know, they're going to live. The kids are going to have fun. It's going to be great. Kids love kids, but that's getting out of their comfort zone at this age. And I'm proud of Caden. I'm proud of Noah. I'm proud of Caleb that they're willing to do this. And it's tough to be to do, but are you willing to get out of your comfort zone? <clears throat> are you willing to... Uh, Rely on God without knowing where it's going to lead. Now, I'm going to do something that you don't do as a pastor. I'm not going to sin. Don't worry. 
I'm, I'm going to just talk about myself. You know, when I came to Plevna six and a half years ago, I knew I knew where it was at, right? Because I came and candidated, and we had great food. And I remember my sons and the Berkeley boys upstairs bouncing across the pews while we we're downstairs eating. I remember that. It was great. They let us come back. So I knew where I was going. And I have a comfort zone that's pretty big. I have a very, a very big comfort zone. You know, so going here was was scary, but I I didn't know where what it was going to entail. And I'll tell you what, I got humbled really quick when I came to Plevna. I thought I was gonna come here and I was gonna grow this church and I was gonna wow all of you with my preaching. I'm serious. I thought I'm going to, I've read a book. I've, I've, there's a certain style that I like. I thought I'm going to pull this off. And I got humbled really quick that you're not anything, Josh. David Jeremiah <laughs> is the man. But I'm just saying, I had no idea how this was going to turn out. I had no idea I was going to still be here after six and a half years. I had no clue. I just knew God was calling me to go. I have a very big comfort zone. It grows very quickly. Uh, but I, I, I took that step of obedience. What is it that God's calling you to do? Maybe he's calling you to change your career. Maybe he's calling you to move and go to Bible school. Maybe he's calling you to switch your college degree that you want. I don't know. Maybe he's not calling you to do anything but what you're doing. But if he does call you to do anything, helping Awana, helping VBS, go invite some kid to VBS, are you willing to do it? Number three is be obedient. It might look like going against the flow. You know, the whole world out there is telling you by what they, what they promote and what they say. Without reading this verse, they're telling you that this is okay. Judges chapter 21, verses 25. This is how they roll. It says, in those days, Israel had no king. Everyone did as he saw fit. Everybody was doing throughout the book of Judges did what seemed right to me. Right. And not everything that everybody says out there or wants to do is what is right. And they say you should accept it and you should do it and it's OK and they'll promote it. But at some point, you got to say, no, I'm not going to do that. At some point, you might have to say, no, that is not OK. That's being obedient to what God's calling you to do. And that's scary. If you see your friends doing something that you shouldn't do, or if you see it, it happening on in the political scene, or you see whatever it is, people are saying this is okay, you might have to stand and go against the flow and just do be obedient what God's calling you to do. That's just three examples that I came up with. I'm sure you could think of way more than I, than I came up with. But you want to receive God's blessing. I know you do. You want to feel like you've arrived. You're in the promised land. You want to feel like life is good. But, you know, we might not be in the right place. You want God's blessing, but he's not. He doesn't want to give you that blessing there. He wants to give it to you here. That's what he did with the people of Israel. They were trying to be content with sin, with the, the enemy. And God says, it's not going to work that way. You've got to get rid of that in order to face that, to have that blessing. So, number one. Uh, idea of application is just be obedient to what God's calling you to do. I know you don't know what the next step is, but you got to take that first step. Number two is get rid of what God wants you to get rid of. Uh, Matthew 5, 29 and 30, probably just 29 says, if your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. We all read those verses. We all know those words. How many people like those verses? How many people actually do that? What is it in your life that's causing you to sin that you're still hanging on to? 
I'm not going to try to throw a bunch of examples at you because you know what in your life is causing you to sin. You know what in your life that you are kicking out. You know what things you are putting up a barrier or a hedge from to keep you from sinning. What is, what is it that you're, you're dealing with? The, the thing is, and I'll probably say this next week too, just because it will fit next week too, your sins don't just affect you. They affect other people. Uh, when I was a kid, about the sixth grade, they had their a dare program, dare not to do drugs. And there are a lot of commercials on the, the TV and this one just totally hits it perfectly. A dad and a mom finds out their kid's smoking something. I don't know if it's pot or, or whatever it is. And they're yelling at him. What, what made you do this? Where did you learn to do this? Where did you get this stuff? And they're mad at him. And the kid turns around and barks and says, I saw it from you, dad. You taught me. I watched you do it. And so now I do it. And the dad's like, uh-oh, somebody saw me. Somebody found out. So you, you, you got to get rid of what's in your life that's causing you to sin to affect, to help your own life, but it's going to affect future generations after you. So what, what, get rid of whatever that is, whoever that is. Whatever it is that's causing you to sin, you've got to get rid of it. Our scripture reading for today. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. If you sow to please your sinful nature, that's what you're going to get. You're going to get destruction. That's what the people of Israel got. They were sowing to, to, to compromise, to be satisfied, to, to intermarry with the enemy. And it, it was all hell for everybody. But it says if you, um, the one who sows to please the spirit from the spirit will reap eternal life. You obey God, you do what he's asking you to do, God will reward you. And it says, let's not become worried in doing good, for at the proper time you'll reap a harvest if you do not give up. So I just have to ask you, I gotta say, what are you going to do with this message? I didn't make it up. It's just what scripture says. It's, I just feel like this is shouting at me. What, what, I, what I said today, what are you going to do with it? You know, some people are going to say, well, he was pretty energetic. He was loud. I'm surprised he wasn't pounding the pulpit today. And that's about it, you know. And some people are going to say, you know what, I'm going to think about this. I know what in my life is causing me to sin. I know where that temptation is hiding. I know what to do with it, and I'm going to do it. I want to experience God's blessing. I don't want to face and battle that temptation anymore. I'm too weak. I'm just going to get rid of it. God wants to bless you. God wants to bless you His way. So I want to encourage you from this point on, when you walk out this door, to start well. Because that's all you can do from this point on is start today, start well, and then finish well. God will bless you for it. And it's what God's calling us to do. Ultimately, we only have any hope because of Jesus. He came to this earth, died on the cross to pay for our sins, and so we should be living a life that's honoring to Him. We should have actions that back up our belief. So I just want to encourage you, as I feel like God is, is challenging me today too, is to start well, but to make sure I finish well too. Let's pray. Dear God, I thank you for your grace and for your patience. I look and I say, I don't know how you remotely have this kind of patience with the people of Israel, uh, the people in the Bible, with even me, myself, and, and with our nation, but I know that you love us and you want each of us to come to a saving knowledge of you. And so you're just waiting a little bit longer. I just pray that, God, you would reveal to us what sin we have in our life and you would help us to get rid of it. It's a sacrifice. It hurts. Uh, but please, God, help us to see that you are more precious and more valuable than any sin that we could enjoy for just a season. I pray for the help to do this. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.